This is Palm Sunday, and in the tradition of many, many churches and many places, uh, there would be a celebration. And I know that you have celebrated already today that Jesus, our Lord, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to move us a little further this morning in the week that we call Holy Week. Holy Week is Sunday Palm to Resurrection Sunday. I want to move us a little further into the week to the night that Jesus shared His Last Supper with His disciples. You know that this meal was a meal of many things. It included Jesus at the beginning washing each of their feet included Him teaching them all that must take place in order for the kingdom to come. It included a a remembrance that really had its beginning in Moses' day and in the escape from Egypt, or the exodus from Egypt. A Passover was a remembrance when God delivered His people through the different plagues and ultimately the final plague of the death angel coming across Egypt taking all firstborn, only those that did, didn't have, or only those that had the blood on the doorpost uh, would be saved. From that point on until the point of Jesus' last supper with His disciples, every Jewish per- person celebrated that meal in every year. They remembered that meal. They remembered the work of God on their behalf. They remembered the miracle of God parting the Red Sea and bringing them into safety. They remembered their deliverance out of oppression. But on that evening, that Thursday night, what we often refer to as Maundy Thursday or the Somber Thursday, uh, there was a meal that Jesus took and He reformed it and reshaped it to give a new meaning and a new purpose. It was still to remember God's deliverance. It was still to remember God's miracle and His power. It was still to remember that God frees His people, but it was not through the Exodus. It would be through Jesus, His Son. That God brings about change. That God gives hope. That God makes a way when there seems to be no way. So when the new early church began to understand this and now replicate it each and every year using the Passover meal, they now refer to it as the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. We call it communion because it's about bringing us into community together and remembering what Jesus has done. Uh, Paul writes about this meal in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he's giving instructions to a church in Corinth about how to take on this meal and how to experience this meal, how to to think about what you are doing. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 29, these words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And then Paul explains. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul received instructions from the those that were in that upper room who experienced it with Jesus, and He asks us to examine ourselves, to discern what's on the inside before we take these elements of remembrance. Because He wants every person from then on out to stop and to pray and to think and to look inward before they take these elements. He wants everyone to be careful to know that when you experience the Lord's table, you are proclaiming Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. This morning we are going to serve the elements to you and we invite any who would like to receive them to receive them. If you have been born again by Jesus Christ and have been baptized through the waters, you are absolutely invited. If you have not personally accepted Jesus Christ, I would just ask, that you pass the plate to the next person. But in every way, examine yourself. Examine your heart. Examine your soul. Proclaim the Lord in this meal. Remember His broken body. Remember His shed blood. And remember that it's for your sin. I'd like to invite our men to come and prepare the elements. You would join me here in the front. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He gave it to them, saying, This is My body. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let's pray. For this body, we thank You. We thank You for the broken body that You were willing to give up on our behalf. And we give You thanks. We give You thanks knowing that it was Your body your precious, precious body that was broken and whipped and crucified so that we might live. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, He also took the cup after the supper, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them to drink, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of Me. For the cup, Lord, we give You thanks. We know that it's Your blood that washes away our sin. And we're thankful that Your blood was our covering that made us right before a holy God. We give You thanks for the blood 
of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Gentlemen, if you would serve.
body of Christ, take and eat in remembrance of Him. The blood of Jesus, take and drink in remembrance of Him. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your body and Your blood that was given for us. Let us remember You and proclaim Your death in our life. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. After that meal was served, Jesus took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a very short walk from where they were meeting. And it was there in that evening that he prayed. The Bible says that he prayed such that even droplets of blood came to his forehead. Sometime in the middle of the night, temple guards and Pharisees were escorted by Judas the betrayer to the garden. And as we all know, Judas identified Jesus by a kiss, identifying him as the one they should capture. Jesus went without a fight, even though His disciples wanted to cause a revolution. And Jesus told them to put down their swords, and even in the, in the chaos, He healed a man whose ear had been slashed off by Peter's sword. All the disciples abandoned Jesus, they all run for their lives, and He goes without a fight. He's taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and there he undergoes an illegal trial in the middle of the night based on charges that no one could ever convict him of. They placed him in a pit there in that house, and that's where he stayed until morning. First thing in the morning, he is sent to Pontius Pilate, the governor of that region. Pilate asks him questions, and Jesus chooses not to answer, and so they send him to Herod, Antipas, who is the, the ruler of that land, and Jesus still continues to not give responses. So eventually Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate agrees to have Jesus punished and released. He goes through a process called being scourged and flogged. It includes being stripped naked and attached to a whipping post. And there having cat of nine tails, basically a whip with nine braided edges uh, whipped across his back and body 39 times. If that wasn't enough, they insulted him and spat upon him and 
Eventually the Roman soldiers took a crimson robe and they wrapped it around them and took a crown of thorns, taking the thorns out of a bush and weaving it into a head dress and pressing it into his skull. But the day is not yet over. He is returned to Pilate and Pilate there sees a man beaten to a bloody pulp and offers to release him as a token of the celebration of Passover. But instead, the crowd chants for a criminal to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Pilate ultimately goes to a water basin and he washes his hands, saying that his blood is on your shoulders. And sends him off to be crucified. This is where John, the 19th chapter, in the 16th verse begins. John chapter 19, verse 16. So he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Three crosses, Jesus in the middle. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill what which was fulfilled the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Verse 28, our key passage. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Something on that cross forever changed the face of human history. In the death of Jesus, God's one and only beloved Son, who was a perfect spotless Lamb, who was God in human flesh, who 
was God sent to dwell among men, a baby at one point born of virgin conception, a man who had lived 33 years without sin, who healed the lame, gave sight to the blind, who helped demon-possessed people be free, who walked on water, calmed the seas, fed thousands with nothing, who fulfilled over 200 Old Testament prophecies. When He hung on the cross, something infinitely important was happening. Something that had its beginning before the foundation of the world. Something that was both beautiful and terrible. All at once, something glorious and treacherous. Something that is beyond our comprehension, yet was foretold throughout the generations from the time of Adam and Eve. What was that? What was that thing that was happening? What was that moment that was transpiring? Friends, brothers, sisters, what was happening was God defeating sin once and for all. Sin was losing. Sin had lost. Satan was being defeated. Death was being defeated. There was not going to be a last inning victory. There was not going to be a Hail Mary pass. There wasn't going to be a last second shot. In the death of Christ, God was dealing with sin once and for all so that you and I could be saved. There was no hope that God's enemy would pull out in the end. There was no hope that somehow things were going to be thwarted. The plan of God in the perfect sacrifice of God was going to be perfected by God on the cross. And we all see it coming to its finality. When Jesus said in verse 28, or when the Scripture tells us in verse 28, that Jesus, knowing that everything was now accomplished, everything was now finished, it is accomplished. Friends, let me just have you fathom this for a moment. In all of human history, from the beginning of time and to the point of the cross, God was orchestrating something that He knew, that He had planned, that He had prepared. And Jesus, fulfilling all the Scripture, fulfilling all God had intended, is bringing it to a place of accomplishment. There's not another Savior, not another way, not another offering, not another path. God was accomplishing His mission. Jesus was accomplishing His mission. You see, prior to this day, if you wanted to be forgiven for your sin, you had to have an animal sacrificed on your behalf. If it was a big sin, you might need to sacrifice a bull. If it was a little sin, you might have to sacrifice a dove but an animal's blood had to be shed for your sin to be forgiven. But in Jesus, in His mission, you have God offering the Lamb, the spotless Lamb, the perfect sacrifice. It was Jesus who lived a sinless life. And because of His sinless life, we who are sinners, His life is applied to us and our sinful life is crucified to Him. God was accomplishing His mission. It is accomplished. 
But don't forget in any way, brothers and sisters, that Jesus, even in this moment, as fully God as always, is yet still fully man. He felt every pierce of the nail, every thorn on His head, every lash on His back. It even says in the Scripture that He is thirsty. It's the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, God in human flesh, coming together that a sacrifice is being made for all humanity, for all of us. He felt it, and He accomplished it. Verse 30 tells us that when He had received that sour wine, He says, it is finished. His mission was accomplished, and now His life is finished. His purpose. Sin is being finished. Death, you are finished. The grave, Satan, all evil, it is finished. God is finishing His work. And we are the ones who benefit. What did He finish? Let me not be so theological here, let me just share with you on a practical level. What did He finish? The Scripture teaches us that in His death, a payment was made. Do any of you have any debts? (laughs) House debt, car debt, credit card debt, student loan debt, family member loan debt, debt on this, debt on that. Coles, Target, Lowe's, any debts? Okay, we got some testimony now. Debts. A debt was being paid. I, I, I try to live and our family tries to live as debt-free as possible because debt makes you a slave to the lender. The Scripture tells us that. No matter how, how happy my life is, I know I owe... Citizens Bank and Trust, the debt on my house. It's a debt. And it's a burden to me. It's an obligation to me. It's something that I have to pay back. And if I don't pay it back, what happens to my house? It's no longer my house. It's somebody else's house. There's a debt. The Bible says of all of us that we have a debt. A debt that we cannot pay. It's not financial, it's not a loan. It's that in our sinful nature, we sin against God, and that puts a debt between us and God who is holy. And the Bible teaches that Jesus was our payment for our debt. He's the ransom, that's the Bible word, that He's the financial, if you want to use those terms, payment for our debt of sin, that His life had to be taken so that your life could be free. We sing that wonderful hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. What does He do? He washes it white as snow. Jesus finished our debt. And here's the wonderful gift, brothers and sisters. The free gift of God is that any of us can receive Jesus as our payment. It's a free gift given by God who loved us enough to offer Jesus in our place. 
it is finished. If you trust Him by faith and follow Him in your life, sin and your sin debt are cleared. Well, I give you one last thought. And it's not in our text here in John, but in a similar passage in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus had accomplished His mission. He had finished His task. And the Scripture says in Luke 23, verse 46, the last words of Jesus, the last words of His living earthly life, He will resurrect, glory, hallelujah, and will speak again. But in His pre-resurrection, here are His last words. Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Friends, let me ask you, did the cross kill Jesus? Did the thorns kill Jesus? Did the pierced side Kill Jesus? Did the whipping? No. Humanity may say, humanly speaking, we know the cross is the most horrible of execution tools. But what actually killed Jesus was not anything the Romans did, not anything those nails did, thorns did, the whipping did. What killed Jesus is what we did. It's our sin that killed Christ. But He gives up His Spirit. That's His willing sacrifice of His life for you and I. We can look at a cross like the one displayed there in our sanctuary or like some that people wear as necklaces and jewelry. We can see a cross in a painting or cross in a picture, and you can always remember, it's not the cross that killed Jesus, it's my sin that killed Him. But praise be to God, sin lost. Jesus won. Love will win out. The cross will not hold Him down. Sin will not hold Him down. The grave will not hold Him down. Jesus will be victorious in that He will rise again, proving once and for all sin has lost and love has won. Friend, you can trust in Jesus. And you can know that your sin can be forgiven through Him. You only need to receive that gift by faith and His life will be a payment for you. Let's pray together. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your death. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your sacrifice, for Your broken body, Your shed blood. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You were our willing sacrifice, that it was my sin and the sin of all here that You were willing to die for. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now in this moment, if there are any who have not received that gift that free love, that free offer of salvation, 
I pray that today would be a day where they trusted you once and for all with their life. And for every believer here, God, everyone that you know and that you have saved, we celebrate Jesus, our Lord. We proclaim his death and we give thanks humbly for all that he was willing to do to pay for our sin. I pray you help us to never miss that or never lose that. If any need to make a decision now, God, I pray you help them respond. In Jesus' name, amen.